You call yourselves good neighbors. You're the worst neighbors ever. You don't deserve to wear those fuzzies. Gee, Pap, maybe President Squidward's right. Yeah, I guess we aren't good neighbors after all. Oh, you aren't! You're horrible neighbors! <laughs> Stop calling me president! to the most porous podcast you'll find along your travels of the tubes of the internet, I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. I'm your captain, Captain Eric, and it's a pleasure to welcome you to episode 139 of the Squarecast, all about those good neighbors. Now, the episode Good Neighbors is the second half of the 64th episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, and it first premiered on May 20th, 2005. It was written by Mike Bell, and this is actually the first SpongeBob episode ever to have a solo writing credit, with Mike also serving as the storyboard director of this episode alongside Aaron Springer. Our animation director is Tom Yasumi, our technical director is Vincent Waller, and our supervising producer is Paul Tibbet. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Not only was this the first episode with a single writing credit, given to Mike Bell. This was also Mike's final episode as a writer on SpongeBob SquarePants. He was primarily a writer through the fourth season, starting with fear of a Krabby Patty. But before even stepping into the writer's room, Mike was known as portraying Santa Claus in the season two episode Christmas Who, alongside appearing as a fisherman in the episodes The String from season 11, SpongeBob's Big Birthday Blowout from season 12, and even appearing as the fisherman near the climax of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. So Mike, beyond his writing credits, certainly has a history with SpongeBob SquarePants and even returned to Bikini Bottom to write an episode for Camp Coral SpongeBob's Underyears Boo Light Special. Thank you so much for your contributions to SpongeBob SquarePants over the years, Mike. I am excited to check out your Swan Son episode, Good Neighbors. Now, the concept of a quote-unquote good neighbor is certainly a subjective one, isn't it? Each and every one of us who has a neighbor would certainly have a different answer as to what would make a regular neighbor go to a good neighbor or what we would like to see. But I'd like to think that even though we would have so many colorful answers as to what would make a neighbor good, there are quite a few that we would all agree on as to what would make a neighbor bad. And I think when it comes to Squidward's issue in this episode of just continually being annoyed and bombarded by your neighbor, that is something that I would probably put in the category of being more of a bad neighbor than a good neighbor, of just constant annoyance or just people walking into your house like SpongeBob and Patrick do to Squidward, waking him up, ruining his entire day. I I don't know. I'd like to think that most of us would agree that with the way SpongeBob and Patrick acted in this episode, we we all can have a bit of an understanding with Squidward and know that even though we all love SpongeBob and Patrick, we wouldn't want to live next to him. That would be terrible. (laughs) 
What's not terrible, though, is my love for the opening shots of this episode. I can't tell you why. It's just one of those moments I love, but the little quick cuts of SpongeBob, Squidward, and Patrick all sleeping in their homes. Just a little establishing shot of it's morning. We're, we're getting to start the day with these characters. What a day we're going to have. And then, boom, SpongeBob's alarm goes off. <laughs> Now, we've seen this alarm have the power to wake up others on Con Street, but uh, we actually get full confirmation here that Squidward is unexpectedly awakened by SpongeBob's boat alarm. And I gotta, I gotta say, it's gotta be another point in the bad neighbor category. If I had a neighbor, for as much as I love a good boat horn, if I had a neighbor who had a boat horn as an alarm, and it was so loud that it would wake me up at a uh, different hour or at a different time than what I was expecting, then yeah, I would be pretty upset about that. And I'm sure you would be too, being unexpectedly awoken by an alarm like that. But Squidward's Sunday is not starting out to a great degree. Obviously, being woken up by SpongeBob's alarm is one thing, but then SpongeBob himself shows up in Squidward's room to make sure that Squidward doesn't oversleep and become late for work. But as I had already mentioned, it's Sunday today, there is no work, and now it's just SpongeBob annoying Squidward even more so. SpongeBob doesn't want to annoy Squidward. He loves Squidward. He wants to be a good neighbor. And on this particular day, SpongeBob, for some reason, just wants to make Squidward's day even better. Where, for that to happen, all he'd have to do is just go home and mind his own business. But, of course, we can't have that on Con Street. He goes out in front of Squidward's house to get... The Sunday newspaper, which if you have ever had a Sunday newspaper delivered to your home, you would know that those things are packed. It is no joke with how thick some of these newspapers can become for their Sunday editions. The, the Sunday New York Times you could honestly use as a blunt weapon if you, if you absolutely needed to in a rough situation. SpongeBob and now Patrick have messed up the newspaper, of course. Everything they touch in this episode messes up one way or another. Squidward doesn't even realize that his newspaper is being destroyed as he is now focused on his Sunday relaxation schedule. Squidward is laying out an entire plan for himself of pure Sunday bliss. He pulls out a box, which inside of it includes all of his Sunday best, a pillow, a flower, some flower fragrance, which of course destroys the flower, hilariously, bonbons, which are nice little chocolates, and the ordering of the Sunday special, which seems to be a masseuse coming out to your home and giving you a pedicure and foot massage for about an hour. And that is what Squidward's whole day is being built around, his relaxation leading in to this big foot massage and pedicure, which, by the way, I got to be honest with you, pedicures are pretty nice. More than 10 years ago, I had my uh, first one, and it's not something I get regularly, but I had someone offer to pay for one, and unfortunately there's a stigma with men just taking care of themselves to a certain degree, which is just silly. It's it's absolutely crazy to think that way. A foot massage is a wonderful feeling, and a pedicure really makes your feet feel good, look good, and there's nothing wrong with that. So if you have never experienced a pedicure in your life, let me tell you, it is worth your time. It's worth your money. Just find the right place. 
and that, of course, can be easier said than done. But as Squidward is getting ready for this incredible Sunday, he is once again breached by SpongeBob and Patrick entering his house, this time with a brand new look to them. SpongeBob and Patrick have entered Squidward's house wearing fezes, F-E-Z, which is a type of headwear that was popularized all the way back in the early 19th century of the Ottoman Empire, also known as the Turkish Empire. Uh, this hat or headpiece has a wide variety of different meanings of different groups in the world throughout history. But for me personally, I actually first came across what a fez was all the way back in July of 1996 with a little video game for the PC called The Simpsons Cartoon Studio. With this application, you were actually able to create your very own customized Simpsons cartoons. They gave you a wide variety of backgrounds, objects, uh, different freeze frames for the characters, and a multitude of pre-made movements for the Simpsons family, alongside a few other movements for some other residents within Springfield. A part of these movements for the core Simpsons family were each of the members of the family were driving in a little vehicle, a little car, and they all had fezes on their heads. Now, this whole setup of people in little cars with fezes would be a popular thing for clubs who adopted the fez as a part of their getup to do during parades. They would drive around in these little cars. So I first came across of this idea of people in little cars with fezes in a Simpsons game. It was hilarious to me. I'd never seen this concept. And then I would go to a parade within the next year to see five or six elderly men in tiny cars wearing fezes. And it was an absolutely hilarious sight. I had never seen this before, and I thought these guys were referencing The Simpsons. I had no idea that there were others outside of The Simpsons family who would want to drive little cars with fezes, but that was my introduction into the look. I would, of course, go on to see fezes used in many other forms of popular culture. I'm thinking of Austin Powers. I'm thinking of Secret Squirrel and Morocco Mole. There you go. little connection as to why Morocco Mole wears a fez and his connections to the Middle East. I, I love the look of a fez now, and it's certainly not as humorous as it once was for me once I was able to grow up a little bit more and was able to learn a bit more of its history and that it wasn't simply a reference to The Simpsons. But what's interesting about the fezes that SpongeBob and Patrick have on their heads is an extra addition of a symbol, a giant eyeball, which of course immediately reminds me of the Eye of Providence, which is the all-seeing eye that is on the back of the U.S. dollar bill, where you get that little pyramid and you have the eye on the top there. Of course, there is also another entity that people think about when they see a giant eyeball. I am, of course, talking about your local optometrist. Of course I was. Why, why would I be talking about anything else? There's no such thing as the Illuminati. Of course, there are many different connections you can have when it comes to just a single eye. But for this episode, that eye is the logo for the secret royal order of the Good Neighbor Lodge, a new club, yes, a brand new club that SpongeBob and Patrick have started with the intentions of making sure that Squidward knows he has good neighbors on his side. And interrupting his Sunday best is literally the first thing on their list. Squidward has no time for SpongeBob and Patrick in this episode. 
and he is constantly screaming at the two of them to get out of his house each and every time they find themselves back in it. The anger level of Squidward in this episode is actually palpable. There have been other moments where he has looked like a piece of steamed coral and has certainly lost his chill, but the anger dial, I felt, was just being slowly raised throughout this episode. Ever so often, a little more, a little more, we gotta squeeze as much as we can out of Squidward, because throughout most equations, I would say the angrier Squidward gets in a given episode also raises its comedic value. Not all the time, but I would say a good chunk of the time when Squidward loses his stack over whatever is going on, it tends to be a funnier episode because of it. Roger Bumpus, though, really deserves more credit than he gets for what he brings to the table as Squidward Tentacles. Some of the lines in this episode, I can't even imagine how strenuous they must have been on that man's voice, and I can't thank him enough for it. Squidward's tantrums in this episode are absolutely amazing. SpongeBob and Patrick have appointed Squidward as the president of the secret royal order of the Good Neighbor Lodge, and for his first decree, Squidward orders SpongeBob and Patrick to make the neighborhood look better by painting all the leaves. And not just painting them a solid color. Oh, no, no, no. Squidward wants all of the leaves in the neighborhood painted polka dot, which, of course, he thinks is going to keep SpongeBob and Patrick busy for a couple of Sundays when, in fact, I mean, we're dealing with SpongeBob and Patrick here. They're able to do incredible things within a matter of moments. There's this great animation of Patrick taking SpongeBob's fez and unscrewing it from his head, but underneath the fez is an entire chunk of SpongeBob's body of some sort, which has threads on it, like it's it's being screwed out, like it's it was once screwed in, and it's just one of those moments of cartoon imagery that I adore. I like when cartoons can be cartoons for a moment, even if it's for a quick visual gag like this. Uh, but the reason that Patrick unscrews that top is to pour all the paint inside of SpongeBob, and I'm sure you can see where this is going. But with SpongeBob's body being made up of holes, and as we have seen in previous episodes, the ability of him being able to shoot items out of his holes, which that sounds a lot more suspect than it needs to be, but stay with me. Like a Gatling gun, SpongeBob shoots paint over all of the trees in the neighborhood. They go back to see Squidward and through his window shoot paint in his face, which I, you knew it was going to happen. The way that Patrick had SpongeBob with his arm as kind of the trigger, and he was holding SpongeBob in that exact same way as they were they were uh, getting Squidward's attention through his window. You knew there was going to be some paint action happening to Squidward. What happens, though, is beyond me. Squidward, with all of this paint on his face, runs out of his house into the street and almost gets run over by an oncoming boatmobile, which is able to stop in time before realizing they have a sick fish on their hands. We got to get this guy to the hospital. And the two... Fishes that were inside of the boat quickly scurry Squidward into the boat, even though he is not sick. And if you're not sick, I can't think of a worse way to spend a Sunday than being forced to go to the hospital. If it's your day off and then somebody just says, we're going to the hospital because they think you're you're hurt or you're sick or you're, 
injured, something's going on, and they just take you away from your day off. The the hospital is already a terrible experience if you have to go there. Which, my heart bleeds for you, by the way, if you're someone who gets stuck in a waiting room for hours on end, well, you might be bleeding yourself right there on the hospital floor. So it's already a terrible experience if you have to go to the hospital. So to go to the hospital when you don't have to go, I could say that's a that's a way to ruin a day off. Squidward is obviously going to be pissed off, but wait until he finds out what happens to his Sunday special because you knew the second a masseuse was going to be coming out to Squidward's house that SpongeBob or Patrick, it ends up being both of them, were going to be the ones to partake in that pedicure and massage. And by the time Squidward finally gets home, it is actually pretty much the end of the hour for the masseuse who showed up. Squidward was obviously pissed and upset that SpongeBob and Patrick had indulged into the Sunday special, but he was just ready to move on and move forward to himself being pampered, sat himself down in front of the masseuse and say, let me have it. And this guy, I got to imagine when you have just finished four feet, two starfish feet, two sponge feet, the idea of four tentacles being slapped in front of you doesn't really seem to be quite the idea. Although I am finding myself in increasingly suspect positions of this podcast when there's tentacles being slapped around. Anyway, Squidward at this point absolutely loses it on SpongeBob and Patrick in one of the most phenomenal ways that we have seen him do up to this point. As he is legitimately screaming to SpongeBob and Patrick through a hole in his door to hammer home the fact that they are not good neighbors and they are in fact annoying neighbors, bad neighbors, and that Squidward can't stand them, which SpongeBob and Patrick do understandably take to heart and actually reflect on their annoyance to Squidward, but we'll get to that in a second. As Squidward continues on with his day, he has finally booted SpongeBob and Patrick, hopefully for the final time, and he is now ready to indulge into the Sunday paper. But of course, the last time we saw the paper, it was in a giant pile of all of the pages crumpled up, and SpongeBob at least was nice enough to write a note on top of it to let Squidward know, hey, this this pile of trash is actually your newspaper. He didn't write that, but I have to imagine that without that note, Squidward would know that this is the Sunday newspaper, because who would? Who would know receiving their paper like that in their house already that it was going to be the newspaper that you were looking for? You would just assume it's trash. Squidward is still obviously upset, but throughout these pages of the newspaper comes an advertisement for a brand new security system to help Squidward in this situation where his neighbors are entering his home without notice. I gotta say, out of all of Squidward's complaints when it comes to SpongeBob and Patrick, between the two of them, entering your home unexpectedly and at any moment in time, is the most understandable out of all of his issues, out of everything. I could deal with an annoying neighbor. I could deal with a neighbor who had a laugh like SpongeBob's. I could deal with a neighbor who was as lazy as Patrick and maybe didn't clean up their yard 
as well as I did. I could deal with all of that. But I don't know if I could deal with those same neighbors walking into my home anytime for any reason. That really doesn't sound that appealing to me. I don't know about you, but I got to say, Squidward is more than justified with his anger in this episode, at least in my opinion. The security system he was advertised to is installed in the house, and at least from what we can see, there is a single camera in the living room of his home and a monitor which lets you know whether or not a threat has been detected. SpongeBob and Patrick enter the home without the security system going off because it it's not there to let you know if something has come into your house or not. It is seemingly there to let you know whether or not the person or animal in your home is a threat. So with SpongeBob and Patrick, they're not necessarily a threat in any regard that I would say. So the system is not really going to detect them as a threat. Squidward messed up and just bought the wrong kind of security system. I imagine if Plankton walked into the room, maybe the machine would perceive Plankton as a threat, depending on what item he had with him, if it was a, if it was a, some kind of gadget or some sort that the security system could detect, or if it's just able to detect the kind of person you are, or if it's legitimately waiting for some sort of action to happen before it steps in. SpongeBob and Patrick have arrived with an apology cake for Squidward. An apology cake for bugging him so much, which I, I have to say, it's really refreshing to have these two characters acknowledge this in the way they did. Not necessarily that it had to be a cake, but for the fact that SpongeBob and Patrick were able to understand that they may have went a little over the line in their attention towards Squidward. I would appreciate a gesture like that. I, I really would. I don't think I have ever gotten to the level of somebody bugging me that I would tell them that they were bugging me. But if somebody felt on their own that they were and then made me an apology cake like that, I would absolutely reassure them that if I had a problem, I, I would, if it got to that level, I would let them know. But the effort of making an apology cake and writing out uh, such a specific apology on the top of it like that, I gotta say, I, I genuinely love this moment from SpongeBob and Patrick. Unfortunately, Squidward can't say the same as he is now extremely upset that his brand new security system is not detecting these intruders where, once again, this system is not meant to detect intruders, it's meant to detect threats. SpongeBob and Patrick are simply not a threat. Squidward, on the other hand, is a bit of a menace at this moment in time to his security system, which, once again, he has every right to be angry, but he also made a massive mistake in this security system. It is now detecting Squidward as a threat. And this is where you can see how this, how this entire machine is going to go haywire. But what you're not going to expect is what happens when our naughty nautical neighbors drop the cake on the monitor of the security system, which now sends the entire security system with sparks and explosions. It's absolutely going nuts. And out of nowhere, Squidward's house gains robotic legs and arms, it boots Squidward right outside of itself, and it goes on a rampage all the way through downtown Bikini Bottom, 
destroying buildings while SpongeBob and Patrick are stuck on the inside watching it all occur. Squidward, though, is left at Con Street. And at this point in time, even though his home has somehow walked away, he realizes that SpongeBob and Patrick are inside of that house, which means they're not on Con Street, which means Squidward can finally enjoy a part of his Sunday relaxation time. And if you're someone who deals with any sort of back pain, then the sight and sound of Squidward laying down on a rock in the most uncomfortable manner is one that'll certainly get you to look away from the television a bit. Eventually, though, Squidward's house makes its way back to Con Street, and as SpongeBob and Patrick are going through the home looking for what turns this robot off, it ends up simply being a giant off button. And wouldn't you know it, the home was actually standing right above where Squidward was laying down, and right as that button is pressed, the entire home comes crashing down on top of Squidward, putting a giant cherry on this one Sunday of his. A Sunday! This entire end scene with Squidward is nothing short of iconic. In the voice lines, in the voice delivery of Roger Bumpus, and the fact that this scene has now hit meme status in the last year or two with Squidward kicking out a whole variety of different people or fictional characters out of his house and then screaming at them from his front door before slamming the door shut in their face is one of my favorite SpongeBob memes in general. It's more than a picture and actually has to include a bit of video editing and and some trickery there to get whoever Squidward is kicking out. And I haven't seen one that hasn't made me laugh yet. And I've seen plenty of SpongeBob memes that haven't made me laugh. So the Squidward kicking people out one is, is one of my favorites out, out of all of these. As Squidward is putting the final nail on his Sunday coffin with SpongeBob and Patrick, the citizens of Bikini Bottom show up and present Squidward with a summons, basically a court order for him to serve community service every Sunday, seemingly for the rest of his life, to pay off the debt of the damage that his home has caused Bikini Bottom. One other thing I like about this episode is that normally we would see SpongeBob and Patrick get off scot-free for something that they may have caused, and then we get to see Squidward get dunked on. But in this episode, SpongeBob and Patrick also received summons as well, meaning that they were held responsible just as much as Squidward was for the ensuing damage, which I gotta say is fair. For SpongeBob and Patrick, though, they see this as a golden opportunity where they are forced to hang out with Squidward every single Sunday for the rest of their lives. And what a future to look forward to. Oh, yeah. This episode, of course, reuses a bunch of familiar elements that we are already used to in the world of SpongeBob, but just presents it in a new way that we have never had before. We have had an episode where SpongeBob and Patrick create a club which was then shot out into the kelp forest, but we never actually had an episode where uh, a self-contained club is being kept on Con Street. We've had episodes where SpongeBob and Patrick are continually annoying Squidward, especially on a day or during something that he is looking forward to, during like the worst possible time for them to annoy him, which is all the time. But then 
in those more specific moments, they always tend to show up. We've seen these before, but represented in this new structure, and especially with the ending completely coming out of nowhere, the security system was a nice addition because it makes sense that after so long of Squidward wanting to stop people from entering his home that he would install some sort of security. But I don't think anybody had Squidward's house becoming sentient and destroying Bikini Bottom on their SpongeBob episode bingo cards. But here we are. And let me tell you, I forgot how much I really enjoyed this episode until I watched it again. So uh, it, it really, it's one of those things where, at least for me personally, I can remember seeing an episode and getting a, a vague feeling on how I felt watching it the first time or in the second time. And I will remember key moments, but I won't necessarily remember every single thing from beginning to end. So it's always refreshing to go back and rewatch these episodes uh, before recording the show. Correct! So in all honesty, during the prep of this episode, I couldn't, for the life of me, get some of the greatest fictional neighbors out of my head since there's so much discussion about good neighbors and bad neighbors. There's, of course, some classic good ones, some classic bad ones, neighbors you really wouldn't want to have next to you. Somebody like Steve Urkel or SpongeBob even are, are characters of examples that we genuinely love, but would you want to live next to them? Probably not. You see the effects of those happening. Uh, but I have two top five lists here. I'm going to go over the second one quicker because I thought about it just in the sense that this is more of a SpongeBob, therefore Nickelodeon-esque podcast. I should talk about some of those Nickelodeon neighbors I would rather live next to. So I have two lists here. Uh, the, the top five Nickelodeon ones, which was a lot tougher to figure out. And then a top five of like general fictional neighbors of all time. Uh, for the Nickelodeon list, number five is the Stimpletons from Rocket Power. Now, Mr. Stimpleton, Merv, is certainly a cranky fellow, but his wife makes up for it in spades, and they have a pool. And let me tell you, that comes in handy. So I think I could personally have a good working relationship with both Merv and Violet, and that they would be okay with me using their pool ever so often. Number four is Lola Caracola, the neighbor of Cat Dog, who was introduced in the third season. If you stopped watching Cat Dog, you may have missed this introduction of, of a new character. Uh, but Lola is a very energetic, what is known as a whip poor will, which is a type of, of bird. Uh, but she lives in the tree right outside of Cat Dog's home and is always excited about bringing her interests into the world of Cat Dog, and was an unbelievably fun character. I would have no problem with Lola taking residence in one of my trees. Number three is Betty and Howard DeVille, Neighbors of the Pickles. I have an absolute love for Betty DeVille. She's one of my favorite cartoon characters of all time. I don't know if she would make the top 10 or top 25, but honestly, when it comes to the, the adults of the Rugrats, my love for her is right up there with Grandpa Lou. And there are certainly episodes where I am not a fan of Betty and her, her like, aggression that can come out of nowhere on, on a snap. But between the two of them and Phil and Lil, that's an adorable family. I would love to build my neighborhood with them in it. 
Number two, this might be shocking, but I'm going with the Dinklebergs, the neighbors of the Turners. Oh, and to go over the other ones, the Stimpletons are the neighbors of the Rockets. Lola, of course, neighbor of Cat Dog. Betty and Howard, neighbor of the Pickles. Dinkleberg, the neighbor of the Turners and the arch enemy of Mr. Turner. And ironically, the whole joke is that Mr. Dinkleberg is actually the nicest guy in the world. And he is somebody that I would say would qualify as a good neighbor. And I actually wouldn't have a problem with uh, Dinkleberg living next to me. So if Mr. Turner wants to help maybe uh, find him a new home elsewhere and get him to move, I would have no problem taking that trouble on my hands. Dinkleberg! And my number one choice here for a Nickelodeon neighbor to move in to my little uh, road of cartoon characters is Mr. Dink from Doug. Mr. Dink, I've talked about before. He is just one of my favorite adult cartoon characters that was ever written in because when Doug was first introduced to the world, his character is moving to a brand new town. And within that town, Mr. Dink is literally the first person that Doug interacts with. And that's my earliest thought of a good neighbor that I can think of is Mr. Dink. And the way I felt as a young kid feeling at least somewhat trusting of, of the adults around me now, of course, we live in 2022. I definitely think uh, we are certainly more untrusting than we were in 1991. But I genuinely believe there are many Mr. Dinks out there. And when you meet someone who is genuinely nice and you, and you get that, that gut feeling, you, you'll, you'll know that you found yourself a good neighbor. Now, on to the real meat and potatoes of what was going through my mind. These are the top five neighbors I would want to live in my neighborhood, uh, regardless on animation or live action. Number five, this is a shocking one. This is shocking because I have mentioned up to this point a few genuinely good neighbors, and it's not that these two are good, quote-unquote, in many ways are kind of like SpongeBob and Patrick in the annoyance department, but for me personally, I'm not going to find them annoying, and their antics will always make me laugh. This is an old choice. This is out of all of my choices, definitely the oldest character, and it's going to date myself. But when I was a young kid, this show would, would rerun on Nick at Night, so I caught it plenty of times watching it alongside my mom. The show Laverne and Shirley, which was a spinoff of the show Happy Days, had our two main protagonists living next to these two characters, Lenny and Squiggy. And here's a nice little piece of trivia for you out there. Lenny and Squiggy were played by the actors Michael McKean and David Lender, respectively. Now, unfortunately, David Lender is no longer with us. Uh, what, what a character actor. And let me just tell you, his voice as Squiggy is kind of the main reason they're here. I just love the way he talks. But what's going to really blow your mind, if you're still with me at this point, and this is where the gold of Captain Eric comes into play. You just got to wait for it. Both of these actors, Michael McKeon and David Lender, both have roots in SpongeBob SquarePants. Now, Michael McKeon has appeared in two episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants, playing Captain Frosty Mug, but also playing one of the sharks 
from the episode Sharks vs. Pods alongside David Lender, who played Donnie the Shark, Michael played Lonnie, Clancy Brown, who voices Mr. Krabs, played Ronnie, and the leader, Sharkface, is voiced by Henry Winkler, a.k.a. The Fonz, a.k.a. pretty much the main cast member of Happy Days. You can see all the connections here of everything I've mentioned thus far. By the way, one of the gold pieces of my office that I'm looking at right now is a framed poster of the Fonz. So it was kind of hard to uh, bring him up and not not pay tribute to our uh, our lord over there. Please rise. Now sit on it. The Fonz be with you. And also with you. Let us A. A. Lenny and Squiggy are good-hearted souls just looking for a good time, but they're a bit airheaded, if you will, and they're a bit harmless. So I, I honestly get so much joy from their antics, from the way they talk, mainly Squiggy, but uh, I, I would honestly have no problem with them living next to me at this point in time of my life. Number four, I'm not going to go in depth because this is actually a choice from my Nickelodeon neighbors and one I had originally, Mr. Dink. I legitimately would have no problem with Mr. Dink living next to me. I mean, this guy just has money that he's spending on cool gadgets. And in 2022, what is Mr. Dink possibly buying? Some of the uh, gadgets he was getting in the 90s would still be impressive now, but... I don't know how expensive it would be, but I would love to know what Mr. Dink would be looking to purchase in 2022. Number three is a bit of a shocker because I'm actually not the biggest fan of this show. But when I was looking up some of the greatest neighbors of all time, her name kept popping in and I couldn't disagree that Penny from the Big Bang Theory would make an excellent neighbor. I, I understand that the pitch basis of the show is, wow, look at this really attractive woman down the hallway from these nerds. And if you didn't hear that correctly, we're going to make sure that you know they're nerds. Nerds! And look at all the shenanigans they're getting into with their attractive friends. Now, honestly, when you get past that, there are so many intricate characters in that show. There's so many little moments. And they honestly pay some genuinely heartfelt tributes to the world of nerd culture. So even though it might not be a show that is going to excite me sitting through it, I I have appreciated in a way what it has done for, I don't know, an entire generation of middle-aged people and getting their entry into uh, into that world. And I can honestly understand why Penny would make a good neighbor. It really has nothing to do with the way she looks, but the fact that, hey, there's somebody else I can have in the neighborhood that will be into some sort of nerd stuff. And if there's ever parties or get-togethers, board game nights, hey, Penny is another neighbor that can be invited over. The next neighbor on this list is someone I wouldn't invite over for nerd nights or board game occasions or anything like that. But I wouldn't have a single problem if they lived right next to me or right across the street. Number two on this list is Ned Flanders. Ned Flanders from The Simpsons may seem a little bit overbearing, but that's honestly for Homer Simpson. 
And even though he goes overboard with the Ned hate, I still find it funny. But at the end of the day, I've also appreciated the evolution of Ned Flanders through his his timeline in Springfield and everything he's gone through. And he's a genuinely good person, a good father. He's not really going to cause any problems. He seems super generous handing out his equipment to Homer, even though Homer never returns those items. So, hey, if I ever need a lawnmower or a hedge clipper, I have Ned Flanders next to me. Number one, though, and this is my my chef's kiss of a choice, but if you're someone who grew up in the 90s, this is going to be the obvious choice of the best neighbor you would want to live next to you, and I am talking about Wilson from Home Improvement. What's great about Wilson is that without us even knowing, my man introduced social distancing before it was even a known term. Wilson was the neighbor to Tim Allen's character on the show and was only ever featured with the top part of his face peering above the fence in between them. Wilson would be outside or Tim would be outside. They would have a nice little short conversation and Wilson more often than not, would give Tim some sort of advice that would help him through the rest of the episode. And here's what I love about Wilson. He seems really nice. He doesn't overstay his welcome. He enjoys a fence in between you, and not that I'm that antisocial, but if I'm in my backyard and I'm having a rough moment, there isn't anyone else I, I think I would rather have to, to have my back and to offer some sage advice than, than Wilson. And that's why he's number one for me in this category. Now, for you listeners out there, for those on the Ready Crew, what are some of your favorite neighbors that you can come up with? Do you have neighbors from other cartoons that you can think of? I'm talking about characters that pretty much live right next to the main character, or in Penny's case, if it's an apartment complex, right down the hall. You know, how Freddie and his mom were neighbors to Carly. They were right across the hall there. If they were down the hall, I would still consider them as neighbors. Apartment buildings, you're you're so compacted in, you're you're all technically neighbors to each other. You're living in the same house. You you can you can use those terms. But what are some of your favorite neighbors? Do you have any worse neighbors? If you find this episode on Captain Eric's YouTube channel, which by the way, thanks to the new handles system, you can find me at youtube.com slash at the Captain Eric. Apparently, just at Captain Eric was already taken by the time YouTube offered me the chance to choose my own handle. So, the Captain Eric was obviously the next best choice. Once you find the video on that YouTube channel, find that comment section. And if you want to join the discourse, I would love to have some communication with you guys over some of your best and worst neighbors. And even if you want to send me an email, you can at SpongePod Podcast at gmail.com. That's sponge, P-O-D, podcast, at gmail.com. You can send me your emails there. I would love to read out anything that you have. Uh, I've been collecting some of your emails that you've been sending me throughout the fourth season thus far, and they actually fit pretty good in some future episodes and have some great discussions about them. So uh, for those of you who have sent in emails, uh, I have gotten them. Just know that they will be held for specific episodes that fall more in line with your question. And I appreciate 
each and every one of them. Beyond YouTube and my email handle, please check out my other podcast this week in Nickelodeon history, dropping every Sunday on most conceivable podcasting platforms. And while we're here, if you want to check out my updated merch channel at the Redbubble link in the podcast description below or in the video description, any of the logos that you find on that Redbubble site, you can look through and add on a multitude of different products. So even buying a sticker from Captain Eric puts more funds into what I'm able to do. Everything that comes in through my projects goes right back into my projects, and it's always appreciated. You can also follow me on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast and on Instagram at SpongeBob Podcast. That is going to be it for this week in the Squarecast. Thank you so much for being a part of the Ready Crew. Please stay safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. This was all my fault. I was the one who wanted to relax on Sunday. Now if you'll be so kind as to leave so I can get ready for work tomorrow. Mr. President, sorry, but we just wanted to- Get out of my house!